Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 19. I hope all of you who celebrate had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now as we turn the calendar to December, it's roster building time. The winter meetings begin next week amid a lot of tension on Cubs social media. Will the Cubs spend big? Will they get a top shortstop? This week I get into all that, touch on the Rule 5 draft coming up next week, and more. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. This offseason so far seems like it's going really slowly. The Cubs ended the second half. We went through the playoffs without the Cubs participating. And now we've just been waiting for action. We all want to see a new shortstop. We want to see new pitchers. We want to see that roster upgraded so that hopefully this time next year we're coming off some sort of playoff performance. But what is a normal offseason? I mean, we, after the past couple of years with COVID, we barely even know anymore. Usually the winter meetings are a big trigger. And next week begin the winter meetings. The 5th through the 7th are going to be the primary winter meetings. And the winter meetings is often when the big activity really begins. Does anybody remember Joe Madden being caught by reporters in San Diego immediately after the John Lester signing in December 2014 ahead of the 2015 season? It was electric. Joe Madden said, we just won the lottery, and we kind of did. So that's normal activity. There's usually not a lot going on in October, November, into early December. Some years there have been some early signings, but usually not a ton. Then we went through the pandemic years. So after you know the offseason of 2019, Got into spring training, COVID hit, short season, all the owners lost a lot of money. I'm not going to get into Tom Ricketts. Quote about biblical losses here. I think we can all uh, have our own opinions about that. Um, But it did definitely throw off the next offseason. So nobody was quite sure what was going to happen with baseball going into the 2021 season. So that kind of kept everything at bay. Obviously, guys signed, but there were a lot more things happening kind of later. But even before COVID, um, some of the off-season activity was really being pushed a little bit later and later. It seemed like owners were waiting a little bit longer to make those decisions. Some stuff would happen in the winter meetings, but some of the big ticket guys would maybe not sign until January, a couple of those years, even into February. When we look back at the Cubs postseasons, I mean, if we look at last year, last year there was a threat of a lockout, so there was a little bit of there was a flurry of activity early. And then things got, then obviously there was the lockout. So then nothing could happen until the lockout was done. But when we look at last year's lockout, you know, in October, the Cubs did the standard, you know, designating guys for free agency to clear roster space. In November, we added guys to the 40-man roster, made some minor league free agent signings. There was a waiver claim. The Cubs traded Harold Ramirez to Cleveland for cash. Like, these are not big moves. These are not what make or break your offseason. The Cubs were active, though, starting December 1st, which was a year ago yesterday. On December 1st, that's when they signed Marcus Stroman and Jan Gomes. So I think we're getting to that point. We look back. I'll skip over 2020 because that was just so weird. The 
post 2019 season, so December 29 October November December 2019 leading into the 2020 season, you know, in October they didn't do much. There were a couple minor league free agent signings. November was the 40-man roster changes and then there was a minor trade. The Cubs sent cash to the Oakland A's for Jarrell Cotton. Um, the first free agent signing was Dan Winkler on December 9th. The year before that, um, after the 2018 season, that did prove to be the weakest offseason of Theo's tenure, in my opinion. That was that was the great Daniel Descalso offseason. Um, October, again, it consists just of some minor, minor league free agent deals, a waiver claim. In November, there were some minor free agent, uh, minor league free agents, a couple waiver claims. That's when they added Justin Steele to the 40-man roster the same way they did this year with Ben Brown, Brennan Davis, and Kevin Alcantara. The Cubs did make three small trades. They traded Tommy Listella to the Angels, and then they traded for Rowan Wick and Ronaldo Torres. The first signing was actually a little bit earlier. It happened November 28th. The Cubs signed Kyle Ryan, and then the mighty Daniel Descalso would follow on December 18th. So what does a normal offseason look like? It kind of looks like that, and that's what we've seen, right? So this Cubs season ended just into October. There were some decisions made on guys. Some guys were DFA'd. Um, David Bodie elected to stay with the Cubs and take a minor league assignment. A bunch of other guys elected for free agency. Um, we've done the additions to the 40 man to protect the guys for the rule five draft. Um, so there's not been a lot going on a little bit here and there. So now we're waiting. What What's going to be the first big move? And I think all the teams have been in the same boat. We've only seen a few guys go. Um, the only rumored Cubs target that's signed so far is Jose Abreu, who signed with Houston. More on him later. Um, there have been a few pitcher signings and that sort of thing. So here we all are on December 2nd, 2022, and there's not much happening. But the winter meetings start next week, and I think things are going to start to get busy. I think a lot of teams have been testing out the market. There have been tons of meetings. We've heard of Cordai Senga meeting with several teams. We've heard of Zoom calls. We, you know, we're hearing everything, and we're actually not hearing everything. We're hearing some of the things. We're hearing what some teams or agents want to leak out, or what a beat writer happens to discover. We're not holistically hearing everything. So when you hear that Carlos Correa met with three teams, it doesn't mean they he didn't meet with the Cubs or there's no mutual interest because you don't see it rumored. Just because you might see a player rumored to a team or meeting with the team, it doesn't mean that a deal is going to happen. So it all feels very almost play-by-play. Like Cubs met with Christian Vasquez, therefore he's going to sign soon. That may not be true. They're meetings. There's a lot of discussions. A lot more will happen next week. There are also trades. Um, There have been some rumored trades. I think there are some trades that make sense. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are kind of thick on upper minor league center field prospects with speed, decent bats who bat left-handed. They have a lot of those guys. Cubs don't. Cubs have relief arms. They've got some right-handed power that they could probably trade to Arizona. So maybe something like that makes something happen. We'll get into a few more of those as we go along. But the Cubs' needs haven't really changed. Number one, above everything else, they need a talent upgrade. Um, We've talked about it a lot. The Cubs did a great deal of work this offseason raising the floor of the team. That's something you can do in season. You can get rid of Andleton Simmons. You can get rid of Jonathan VR. You can bring in role players like McKinstry, who maybe they're great, maybe they're not. Miles Mastroboni is another one they just brought in um, from Tampa. 
you can bring those guys in, and now all of a sudden it looks like the Cubs are going to have options better than what they started last season with. That's great. What happens now during the offseason is you upgrade the top of the roster. So it's great that they have a better bench, more depth, better versatility maybe than they started the season with last year. But you need more frontline starters. And not just, I don't mean starting pitchers, I mean frontline guys in your lineup and in your rotation. So they need a talent upgrade. You know, there's a lot of talk about a shortstop. Well, we again, I've talked about this before. The reason the Cubs want to get a shortstop and the reason they should go get a shortstop is not because Nico Horner is terrible. Nico Horner is a good shortstop. He is a legitimately good major league player, probably borderline all-star this past year, who plays pretty elite defense. But where are the biggest bats? Where are the best upgrades? Right now, there's the highest concentration of those at shortstop. And Nico is a guy who can play other positions. Those shortstops are also athletic guys who can play other positions. So at this point, it's less about, excuse me, it's less about filling every position and more about putting more talent on this roster. And then once there's more talent on the roster, we can figure out the positions later. David Ross is pretty good at that. He can figure out where to play guys. If it means Nico Horner slides to second base, he goes back to being an elite defensive second baseman or maybe uh, Xander Bogarts goes and plays third base. And he's talking a lot right now about wanting to play shortstop. It doesn't mean he may not move in the future. I remember when Manny Machado was looking around. He wanted to go sign as a shortstop. But then the Padres had Fernando Tatis coming up, and Machado moved to third base. And now he's one of the best third basemen in the National League instead of one of the best shortstops. It happens. Talent wants to play with talent. All these guys want to win. So eventually get talent on the team. You know, David Ross and the front office will figure out the positions, bring guys in. So shortstop is obviously very heavy. Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogart, Stansby Swanson. Everybody has their preference. I think we all, there's a lot of banter on social media about, I really got to see Carlos Correa or Trey Turner is perfect for this team. Xander Bogarts has the best bat or, and I've seen this too much lately. I don't want Dansby Swanson. Take a breath. Calm down. I know I would rank Dansby Swanson fourth on my list also. However, this team needs a talent infusion. So if it winds up being Dansby Swanson, as I think it was uh, John Morosi was tweeting the other day, that's okay. That's still an upgrade for the Cubs. It certainly means there's more work to do on offense because he doesn't he doesn't provide the big, reliable bat that Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, or Xander Bogarts do. But Trey Turner makes this team, I mean, sorry, Dansby Swanson makes this team better. You bring Dansby up, he's playing shortstop. You put Nico Horner at second base. All of a sudden, those two up the middle, that's maybe the best defensive combo in baseball. Certainly going to be in the discussion. Um, So while I'm not necessarily advocating for Dansby Swanson, I've just seen a lot of chatter on social media about how pissed off people are going to be if it's Dansby Swanson. And people need to just kind of chill a little bit. I mean, Dansby Swanson, this is all about upgrades. And Dansby Swanson makes the team better. So as we look at those shortstops, there have been a lot of questions tossed out. Are the Cubs going to get one? Are the Cubs willing to spend? You know, could Correa or Trey Turner demand eight-plus years on the contract? We all know Jed Hoyer's position has been he would prefer not to do those big, long contracts. 
I think as a base philosophy, I think that's fine. I think it's it's probably even smart. We talk about intelligent spending. I mean, l- the Jason Hayward contract, let's look at it for what it was. It was a contract on a guy with some recent, you know, came up w- with a big splash in Atlanta when he was a rookie early seasons. Kind of didn't develop maybe the way it maybe looked like he would as a rookie, but then had a really good year the last year, year and a half before his free agency. So the Cubs paid him like a superstar, and he wasn't really a superstar. He didn't play to that deal. Um, But not only did he not play to that deal, when you sign any contract, you kind of have a base level of expectation on what you think that player is going to be. And Jason Hayward, literally, I mean, he worked hard. He played hard. I respect him as a ball player. You know, I hope he comes back to the Cubs as a coach or front office member someday. But the outcome of that contract had to literally be about the first percentile possibility. You know, on the other extreme, you know, like the 99th percentile is he, you know, hits that 25, 30 home runs every year for the first six, seven years of his deal, you know, hitting 280 and just being a run producing machine. Like, obviously that didn't happen, but it wasn't even the mid range. Like what he actually did during those seven seasons is not anything really, if you run a computer model, that really would have been like the first or second percentile, certainly a bottom five percentile. So you can't, you, you can, it, people can do whatever they want. I'm not going to tell you how to fan, but using Jason Hayward's contract as an example would lead to the conclusion, thou shalt not ever sign an eight year contract. And that's fine. An organization can have that philosophy. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays just signed literally their biggest free agent deal in franchise history, bringing in Zach Eflin at three years and $40 million. So there are teams that are out there, teams that are competitive, teams that have been to the World Series and have never put that kind of contract on a player. That's fine. But it means by definition, if you're not willing to do that ever as a rule, there is a class of available free agent that you are just never going to bring in. There is a class of player that would come up through your organization, hit those free agent years, and want that big, massive, elite contract. And it just means you're not going to either bring in or keep that level of player. So you have to, if that's what you're going to do, you have to bake that in. I don't think that's where the Cubs are. I think the Cubs would prefer not to go eight years. But I think for the right guy, I think they'd be willing to do it. Um, time will tell. You know, just because I say it, you know, doesn't mean anything's going to happen. But when you look at those shortstops, it looks like you know Correa might Correa and Turner might both be eight plus years. Uh, maybe Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts. Maybe you can get more in that five six category. But we'll see. So far, you know, the numbers in free agency have been big. So we look at the the needs. We obviously we talked about the talent upgrade. Shortstop seems likely. The Cubs need a catcher, and one of the catchers that's out there right now is Christian Vasquez. He seems to be the hottest one tied to the Cubs. The Cubs clearly, I mean, I guess there's a chance they could sign Wilson Contreras, but at this point, we've been through four-plus seasons of the Cubs not making any effort to re-sign him. We've been through him being certain he was going to be traded to the point where the Cubs said goodbye to they didn't trade him because they didn't find the value. So we said goodbye again issued the qualifying offer again in that last two, three months. I remember one of my early podcasts I talked about after they didn't trade him, well, maybe they'll now take this two-month opportunity and rethink extending him. Clearly, they didn't do that. So Wilson Contreras is not in the future. 
So you move on to secondary targets, and that looks like Christian Vazquez. It could be Omar Narvaez. Those would both be good options. There are some other ones I won't get too deep in the catcher market. We'll see how it goes. But there's a lot of chatter about Christian Vazquez. He's He knows how to win. He's been on winning teams. He's somebody who I believe he played with uh, David Ross, <clears throat> or at least was in the Boston system when David Ross was coming up. Um, feel free to correct me on that. Drop me a line. Um, but he... He knows he's got a pretty good reputation working with pitchers. He's a solid hitter. You know, he's he's not Wilson Contreras, but he is. You know, he put up a 99 WRC plus last year. So like, he's going to get you kind of league average offense. Which, if you make the upgrades in this lineup, that's fine. I mean, that's that's better than what the Cubs had when Jan Gomes was playing. Um, obviously, not as good as Contreras. So you look at a um, Vasquez Gomes you know, deal at catcher where you, you've got those two, it's not going to be an offensive plus position, but that's okay. You're bringing those guys in for pitch framing and game management and working with a young pitching staff. So I think that can, that can really work. So you go a little further down the list of needs. The Cubs need at least one more starting pitcher. They need a center fielder, they need at least one more bat. Um, there's been a lot of talk, around Abreu looking for maybe a first baseman to platoon with Matt Mervis to kind of ease his transition in. Um, that stuff's all great. Um, we'll see who they go. There are a lot of options out there. There are some other positions that could wind up being free agent signings, depending on whether the Cubs get a shortstop or not, depending on whether, um, depending on where the market goes. There may be other guys like second baseman Gene Segura that could come into play. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But as we look to the shortstop market, you know, there's a lot of chatter about which guy people want. I've also seen a lot of kind of some of it's, you know, wild guessing, that kind of thing. But kind of trying to lay some odds on which guy the Cubs might get versus nobody. And, you know, the nobody right now rates pretty highly. And there's a reason for that. It's not that the I don't think it's that the Cubs aren't interested. I mean, I I, I don't know Jed Hoyer. I don't have any ins to the Cubs front to the Cubs front office, but I don't think it's lack of interest, lack of willingness to spend. We're in a situation where there are four elite short, shortstops, and most teams I would imagine probably have you know Correa, Turner, and Bogarts ahead of Swanson. So, you know, three maybe top top shortstops followed by Swanson, but he's not that far back. And there are rumored to be 10, 12, 14 teams interested in those guys. Only four teams are getting one. And of those, of that group of teams, you know, at least two or three of those teams, the the Braves, the Dodgers, maybe the Twins, um, are going to be rumored to, you know, th- that are in those serious players. Philly seems to be a serious player. The Mets might be a player, uh, even though they have Francisco Lindor, you know, they might be more in, in play for some other positions. The Cubs seem to be a player. You know, there, there are a lot of teams in there. And the bottom line is, out of all those teams, at least six or eight of them seem very serious about getting one of these players. And there are only four. So that mean, that tells me probably at least two teams are going to go in really hard on these guys and come up empty. Now, the Cubs are a big market franchise with a lot of resources. Even within the luxury tax threshold, the Cubs have you know, easily 70 to $80 million they can spend this off season and not hit the first tax threshold. So the Cubs certainly have a lot of space and could throw a lot of money that way. So I could make the argument if that, if that kind of player is a priority, then 
Jed should be able to do what he takes what it takes to go get him. But there are other teams in play, so there are going to be some serious contenders that come up short. And that's why you see some of those 45, 50, 55% odds that the Cubs wind up with none of the four. Um, again, it's not that the Cubs aren't interested or that they won't try. I'm not even going to excuse them not getting them. That's, that's just math. You know, there are that many teams in. Some teams aren't going to get it. So let's talk about starting pitchers for a second. So the Cubs have not been rumored to hear anything on the, you know, the sort of the ace front. So in the free agent market, I think the top two were very clearly Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander. You know, deGrom, they're, they're both older. DeGrom probably needs a little bit more in terms of years than, than Verlander. He might be able to get Verlander for one to three years on massive average annual value, like $40 million plus. Um, DeGrom probably more in that three to four year range. But but those guys are going to have a lot of demand. They also come with some risk. I mean, Verlander has been excellent. Um, he's had Tommy John surgery. He came back healthy from that last year. Um, but he's also, you know, 40. So he mother nature is undefeated mother nature may not win until you're 47 48 but a lot of guys you know it's at some point mother nature is going to start to pull his skills down jacob de is is not as old more like 30 35 36 i don't have it in front of me right now he's had some injury history so can he be healthy when he's healthy he's as good as there is so he in some ways might be worth paying for there's also you know kind of that next tier um Carlos Rodon is not far behind those guys. He had some injury histories, injury history in Chicago with the White Sox. Had has had really good two years now. He stayed healthy, so maybe some of those injuries are behind him. He's probably looking at a four or five year deal. And then the next tier is probably guys like Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Jamison Tyone. Um, a little further down there, guys like Drew Smiley. I think there's a pretty decent likelihood that Drew Smiley is back. It sounds like both the Cubs and Drew were interested, so. Hopefully that'll work itself out. But when you look at guys like Chris Basket, um, Taiwan Walker, and Jamison Tyone, those are guys who traditionally maybe, you know, you hit that second tier of the market. You take some of that sticker shock off the top, but you still get a pretty high performing pitcher. So far this year, the uh, you know, the market seems pretty big. Almost every guy who's signed so far has signed for more than maybe they were projected to get. So we're also hearing now there are reports out. I saw a tweet from Bleacher Nation saying that, you know, Jamison Tyone is reportedly asking for a lot more money than people thought he was going to ask for. So where that market lands is going to kind of depend where teams go. And again, like part of the reason why nothing's happening right now is that like any negotiation, if you get a new job, if you're looking for a new job, you're not going to go in and when when it's time to talk salaries and they ask you how much you want to make – give them your bare minimum floor is what you're looking for. Um, you're going to ask for something probably at or above what you expect to get. And the company might come back and offer something below that. And you meet somewhere in the middle. Um, that's not necessarily always how those negotiations work, but any kind of kind of open market like this, players are going to ask, ask for the moon up front. So there's a negotiation period and they feel teams out and, you know, Jose Abreu is a good example. He was a guy who a lot of services were projecting to go, one to two years, anywhere from <clears throat> I saw as low as $14 million per year up to 20. He wound up getting the 20, but he also got the third year. So I think that's what took the Cubs out. I think the Cubs wanted him for one to two years to platoon with Matt Mervis and help him come up. I don't even know. I, I don't know what Jose Abreu was looking for. He's, I, I don't know him. I don't know his agent. 
um, at the same money, two years, $40 million, he might've gone to the Astros anyway. But I, I have a pretty strong feeling that when push came to shove, the Astros and reportedly maybe the Padres even put a third year on that. And once that third year was on, I think the Cubs stepped out because if Matt Mervis is the guy, um, you need a bridge, but I don't think you need a three-year bridge. You need a one-year bridge, and if you have to pay that second year to get the first year, you know, so be it. So, so far, some of the players, like I said, have signed for more than expected. Abreu got the extra year. Zach Eflin wasn't projected to get three years, $40 million, and certainly not from the Rays. So as these contracts start to come in, that starts to set a market. I mean, if you are... If you're a player or a player's agent and you see your pitcher as stronger than Jack Eflin, you might look at either a fourth year. You might look at an AAV over 13. Um, but it starts to set a floor, just like when the top guys, when Aaron Judge signs, when Carlo, uh, when Jacob deGrom signs, when Carlos Correa signs, Trey Turner signs. Those guys are going to set the top of the market. Some of these other guys are you know, setting floors or they're setting tiers. So... If the lower guys are coming in higher, that does raise the question, like, where's this market going to go? Is this going to be one of those crazy free agent years where you just see insane deals out there? Maybe it will be. And if it is, hopefully the Cubs have the the stomach to put one out there. Because the players' value to the short-term ability for the Cubs to win doesn't really change. Like, Jacob deGrom, if he's healthy, is an absolute stud ace the Cubs put out at number one and makes their staff takes their staff from being kind of emerging and maybe pretty good to if he's there every time. And then you've got Stroman is the two and Justin Steele continues to develop and he's a solid three. And then you get some mix of Hendricks, Wisniewski, Smiley, whoever to be three, four, five, all of a sudden you're cooking. I mean, so there's a lot out there. Like, yeah, I would still want the Cubs to go after those guys. I don't want the fact that the market's getting big to be reasons that the Cubs step out. I think the Cubs have a team that can compete in 2023. This, The NL Central I don't think is going to be strong. The Reds are just kind of starting fresh into a new rebuild. The Pirates seem to have no idea what they're doing. I think the Brewers are going to take a step back. The Cardinals will still be strong, but I don't think that's insurmountable. I mean, with a better first two months of the season, the Cubs might have been. They still would have come up short to the Cardinals because they weren't as good last year, but they certainly would have closed that gap a little bit. So I think there's every reason the Cubs can compete in the Central and compete for the wild card, which probably will wind up being about the same win threshold. So what does that do? I mean, one thing to look at is when you look at that Bassett tier, um, Taiwan Walker, Jamison Tyone, if those are guys that you thought, well, well, we'll stay out of the DeGrom and Verlander, we'll get some really good value here at this tier. If that group starts pricing up, Maybe there's not that much value. I, I don't know how high that DeGrom and Verlander would really go. Like if we're, people were already talking about DeGrom and Verlander going potentially 40 or more million dollars per year on the, whatever contract they sign, I don't. they're not going to 60. So, you know, they probably stay there. So if that second tier starts raising up and gets closer to um, – gets closer to that top tier, it might make sense just to go ahead go ahead and go for the stud. Go get Verlander for two years. Um, rather than take on a little bit more risk of somebody, you know, like a Tyone, who's certainly has a lot of potential. I think he's somebody the Cubs could really work with in, in terms of pitch design and pitch mix and get more out of him. I think that he's somebody they could build up to be more than he's been with the Yankees. But, you know, if, if the money starts getting close, maybe just go try to get Verlander. 
but we'll see where those go. Um, I don't know. So far, it's only been a few guys, so you don't know if those are just good fits. The teams happen to like them. You know, there, there weren't – the first base market is pretty thin, so, you know, Abreu was pretty clearly the top of that market, so the Astros just went and got him, so that may be the extra year. And that's not a massive amount of money. So we'll see if this is a trend or if this is just, you know, a few guys getting in early. Um, when the Cubs look at center field, they've got options. There's been a lot of talk about Cody Bellinger and Kevin Kiermeyer. Cody Bellinger, obviously, former MVP with the Dodgers, has had a bad last couple seasons, but he's performed like an MVP in the past. So there's there's a lot of upside there if the Cubs can get his bat back to where it was. He had some injuries, developed some mechanical problems in the swing. On the one hand, there's a lot of hope that you could get that back out of him. On the other side, it's been a couple years now. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the other hand, it's been a couple of years now and he hasn't performed. So, and it's not like just any old team is giving up on him either. It's the Dodgers that non-tendered him. So the Dodgers are pretty good at fixing guys. And if they couldn't fix him, maybe that's a sign that nobody else can. But at the same time, sometimes you just need to hear a different voice. You need to hear, you need to hit in a different location. Just change of scenery can matter. And the other thing about Bellinger is the Cubs need a, center fielder and his glove still plays and he can play first base too. So he's somebody who can potentially come back, but he can also, you know, at least go play center field. And right now he's got a really strong center field glove. So does Kevin Kiermeyer. He's got a long history of being an excellent defensive center fielder. Um, Kiermeyer's coming off hip surgery. So he, his numbers were kind of down for a couple of years as he battled that bad hip. Um, as long as it's, Reportedly, surgery went well, so he's back on his rehab. If he's going to be healthy, he's probably back. He's getting a little older now, but he's still an excellent defensive center fielder. Probably not going to hit a ton. So they're on the table. Right now, There's there are reports out there that Bellinger and Kiermaier would cost about the same, but Bellinger would be on a one-year prove-it deal, and Kiermaier's looking for the same total money but across two years. Um, there are other options there too. Like I mentioned the Diamondbacks earlier, they have a wealth of you know, left-handed hitting outfielders, so the Cubs could trade for someone like Dominic Fletcher, um, potentially giving up a you know, minor league right-handed power bat and a bullpen arm just to see what they can do. Um, there's some other guys, too. We'll see where they go. But that's an area where the Cubs need to improve. Probably not going to be a ton of money. You know, I mean, Bellinger might be you know, some, somewhere pushing $20 million a year. Um, Kiermaier maybe half that, but for two. So we've got issues. You know, got options there. With Jose Abreu off the board now, looking at first base, you have to start to evaluate. Do you really want to go first base? Um, so first base w- was an obvious match with Abreu because he hits right-handed. Matt Mervis hits left-handed. Jose Abreu was always hit. He's got a decent glove, so it made sense to bring him in. If Matt Mervis is not ready or if Matt Mervis struggles, then Jose Abreu can play first base and you've got a productive bat in the lineup. If you flip it around and Mervis is amazing, then you can kind of bounce the two back and forth. They can take turns playing first base, one can DH. Um, you could run a little bit of platoon. Maybe Abreu hits and, and saves Mervis, the, some of the nasty lefty opponents he might have to face. But... You start getting beyond that, and we're talking the next two options up are Trey Mancini and Josh Bell. And a lot of people like Josh Bell. The guy can definitely hit, but he's not good defensively. 
And he's going to be looking for probably a four or five year deal, especially now if, if Jose Abreu got three, I can't imagine Josh Bell getting less than four. So now you're talking about not just a short-term bridge to Matt Mervis. Now you're talking about a guy who can't really play anywhere else on the field except maybe DH at a time when you think Matt Mervis is your guy and he will hopefully you know just perform and get to play a lot this season. At worst, then you would kind of pencil Matt Mervis in for 2024. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not that worried about the money. I think the Cubs have plenty of budget. They've said they'll spend. They've spent in the past. So I know a lot of you fans are on the well, prove it to me. I'm in. I'm of the mind they've proved proven to me that they will do it before. I think the last two years. I think the last two years were a pretty clear rebuild, reload, restock the farm system, sort of move. They moved guys out. Took some time. Last year was pushing it, but it was it was a flyer year. Could Frank Schwindel be a guy? Was Patrick Wisdom a part of the future? Was Rafael Ortega what he showed at the end of 2021? We got the answers on those guys, and we've moved on. So, But I think what you have to look at with first base is total production. And right now, you're sort of already penciling Matt Mervis in for the left-handed spot of a platoon at minimum. On the right-hand side, the Cubs do have Patrick Wisdom. He's a pretty athletic guy. He's capable of playing a pretty decent first base, and he hits lefties. Now, he, I think he showed this year he's not an everyday player. He really struggled with – he did cut his strikeout rate quite a bit, but you know the average was still down. His power dropped a little bit. But I think if you put him in a platoon with Mervis, I mean, last year against lefties, he had a WRC plus of 147. For his career, he's got a one, 126, I believe, WRC plus against lefties. So as the right-handed part of a platoon, I think he could be strong there. So as you look at these other options, as you look at Trey Mancini, as you look at Josh Bell, I mean, Josh Bell is unquestionably a better hitter than than Patrick Wisdom, and probably so is Trey Mancini, but I think that's a lot closer. You get beyond those two, and we start looking at others, like Brandon Drury might be interesting. Um, he's a guy I think could probably have some success with the Cubs, and then maybe that leaves, maybe you wind up platooning Wisdom at third, third base a little bit. But you get beyond those guys, and let's make sure that the person coming in is actually better as an option at that at that point to platoon with Matt Mervis than Patrick Wisdom is, because Patrick Wisdom is already here. He's pre-arb, and you know, so why not? <clears throat> if you can do better, awesome, do it. I'm in. Some other options, you know, for other infielders, I think Gene Segura is really interesting. So he's a guy that Philly cut loose. They had a I believe it was a $19 million option on him this year and decided to not pick up that option because what they want to do is they want to move Stott over to second base and they want to bring in Trey Turner. So Philly let Segura go. That tells me they're going to be very aggressive on a shortstop. And Trey Turner's an East Coast guy. I think there's an interest there. Um, so I would, at this point, I'd actually be a little surprised if Trey Turner does not sign with the Phillies. But anyway, Gene Segura is available and he's a guy who can play second base. I think he could probably play third base also. So you could bring him in certainly as a fallback. I think I think Gene Segura, I've not seen a lot of discussions or rumors. I think a lot of teams are kind of holding out, looking at him as a kind of a second option once the shortstops are gone. So if you miss a shortstop, maybe you go get Gene Segura. Now in the Cubs case, if they miss a shortstop, they get Gene Segura. They still have Nico Horner to play shortstop. Gene Segura maybe plays second base or third base, and you build the infield from there. But I would even advocate, you know, if, if if I was advising Jed, 
why would he listen to me? I'm, I'm nobody. But um, if I was advising him, I would think, well, why not go get a shortstop and go get Gene Segura? Because you, you need a bat upgrade. He's got a pretty good bat. Um, his reputation is fantastic. I mean, he seems like a very likable guy, always a good clubhouse presence, bent on winning teams. I mean, it's it seems like kind of a no-brainer. You get him, now all of a sudden you've got a lot of depth. And I talked earlier about bringing in talent and figure out position later. So if they were to get, let's say they wind up with Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa, pick your poison. Um, they wind up with one of those guys. They got Nico Horner. They got Gene Segura. You still got Christopher Morrell. You've got Nick Madrigal. They've got some of the utility infield guys. Um, you know, Zach McKinstry, Miles Mastroboni. They just signed, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The They just signed Ryland Bannon. You know, these are all guys who play third base, middle infield. Some of them, Mastroboni and, and uh, McKinstry, can theoretically play outfield. Christopher Morrell can play everywhere. So you put these guys together, you start to look at your lineup and you think, well, let's say they come up short. Let's say Bellinger's asking price gets too high or um, somehow they wind up without a center fielder. Well, if you bring in someone like Gene Segura, maybe you can cover, use those infielders to cover third base. Maybe as your bridge to Brennan Davis, maybe Christopher Morrell comes that guy. Or maybe that's where a trade comes into play. So get a lot of options. The, the one thing the Cubs do very well is they bring in a lot of versatile players that can play in a lot of different places. So bring those guys in, let them work, let them do their thing, and then see where things settle out. So more to come. I think we're going to start to see activity next week. Don't expect, you know, don't expect the offseason to be complete next week. I think if one big shortstop goes next week, I think multiple will go, maybe not all of them. But I think right now they're all kind of feeling out the market. Who's who's in, who's really serious, who's willing to kick in that extra year. Um, and you know what? Maybe I would love to see, you know, Jed's game has always sort of been looking for value. Um, I would love to see him take almost the Theo approach, go in, make that first deal happen like the Cubs did with John Lester. Um, we'll see. We'll see if he does it. We'll see if he, if he doesn't. But I think th- there are a lot of ways this team can improve. I think most of those ways probably do involve one of those four shortstops. And even Dansby Swanson, who's not quite the offensive upgrade that the others are, he is an offensive upgrade from what this team has. It just means the Cubs would have to look a little bit harder at going somewhere else for another bat. Like maybe if you get Carlos Correa, maybe you don't also get Gene Segura. But maybe if you get Dansby Swanson – and theoretically get him for a little less money. Maybe you take some of that money and then go get Gene Segura. Um, there's also Justin Turner. He's out there too. He's, you know, the Dodgers kind of let him walk, but I, you know, there's a chance they might bring him back too. I think everybody's kind of feeling it out. So would Justin Turner make sense to come play third for the Cubs? Who knows? But I, I think as everybody's looking at that shortstop position, once that happens, I think dominoes will start to fall and the Cubs will have to look around for offensive upgrades. So, a couple other things happen next week at the winter meetings. Obviously, they're going to meet, talk about rule changes, a lot of, you know, a lot of other stuff going on next week. But there will be the um, Major League Draft Lottery for the first time. The Cubs have a very small chance at the number one pick. Um, personally, I'm not that concerned about the draft. I think that, you know this isn't the NBA or the NFL where that kid you draft number one overall is going to be a superstar in two years and a starter year one. And it, that's just not how baseball works. So. Um, I'm in favor of them getting as high as possible, but I, I do like the fact they put that lottery in and take some of the incentive out to tank. Um, so we'll see where the Cubs land. The Rule 5 draft is the other big one. So obviously the Cubs protected Brendan Davis and Kevin Alcantara this year, along with Ben Brown, brought them up on the 40-man roster. So there are some guys at risk. 
Baseball America came out this week and kind of went through their rundown of who was potentially in play to get drafted um, as part of the Rule 5 draft. And one thing to really remember is when the, if a team drafts somebody in the Rule 5, the team is paying $100,000 to do so, which is it's not major money with the budgets they have, but it's still $100,000. And in order to keep that player, that player then for all of the 2023 season has to be on the active roster. That player, the player can go on the injured list if there's an injury, but the player cannot be optioned to the minors. And now with the new roster rule changes that came about as part of the most recent CBA agreement, that limits the pitching staff during the season to a staff of 13. Most teams are carrying five starters, which means teams are only going to have eight relievers. And they're still going to continue to be double headers and times where you're throwing on short rest and all those things. So if you're going to take a guy who is not protected and is maybe a top prospect. We'll use Luis Devers for the Cubs. He was their minor league pitcher of the year. He is not projected to be in, make it up to the major leagues in 2023. He might be 2024 or 2025. In the past, some team might've tried to grab him, stash him as the 15th, 15th pitcher in the bullpen. And especially if it's a team that's not expected to compete, just like, all right, we're going to stash him back here. We're going to use him every so often, but we're just going to hold him for this year. Then he's ours. That's a lot harder to do when you have a pitching staff, or a bullpen of eight. So it's going to be, I think some of those guys are maybe a little bit less at risk. And so if that guy does not stay on the uh, 26 man active roster all season, they get offered back to the original team and then placed on waivers. So sometimes if, if they want to send them down, depending on how interested the original team is in getting them back there, there could be a small trade worked out, something like that. But in order to flat out keep them, you have to keep them on your 26-man roster for the entire year. So the guys who seem to be at risk for the Cubs, the Cubs do have a lot of young power arms. There are also a couple bats we'll go through. But Baseball America called out Giovanni Cruz. He's got major arm talent. Um, he was back last year from Tommy John surgery. He's 23. He's in high A ball. He's a little bit far from the majors. Um, he's got that age, but he does have that elite arm talent. Um, so... It's that distance from the majors that makes him a risky pick. You know, can he make the jump from South Bend all the way up to sticking on a major league team's roster? I don't know. It, it it's a risky pick because again, like even if you love him and you think he's great, you know, you may not get to keep him, or if you keep him, it may still cost you something. It'd be like the Cubs trading Giovanni Cruz to another team, and they could get a prospect back. Um, another guy is Dennis Correa. He's somebody who's been talked a lot about by Cubs prospect guys. And just as an aside here, if you're not following, you know, the guys at Northside Bound, if you're not following Greg Huss, Greg Zumak, Brian Smith, Jordan Miller, all those guys, they give amazing Cubs prospect coverage. So go find their podcasts. You can look at, look for the growing Cubs podcast with Jordan Miller. Uh, you can go for, um, the North. Northside Bound guys came out with a new podcast, Cubs on Deck. That's fantastic. Greg Huss, Greg Zumak, Brian Smith. Um, they're doing a great job. So go to them for your prospect coverage, not me, but I'm, I'm relaying a few things here. So there's um, Dennis Correa is another one that's been talked about. He's got a big arm. He's also got some command issues. You know, he's at AAA. He's a guy that you probably could put project into a major league bullpen this year, but still that command, you know, you don't have the ability to option him back to work on something. So if you claim him, you're either going to use him all year or you're going to kind of lose him. Some other guys that haven't been talked about as much, but I still think have some some risk either because 
that's what I believe, or some of the, you know, Greg Huss, Greg Zumak have been talking about. Um, Darius Hill, he's a center fielder for the Iowa Cubs. He could probably project today as a fourth or fifth outfielder in the majors. Um, he's not one of the Cubs' top prospects, so he was not a guy the Cubs were going to protect, not with Brennan Davis and Canario and Alcantara and Owen Casey and other guys coming up. But he's a guy the Cubs could potentially lose. Um, Cole Franklin and Cam Sanders are power arms in the bullpen. I think Cam Sanders is one that I think might be actually likely to get taken. Uh, AAA at Iowa, strong arm, big arm talent, could get into a bullpen right now, be a multi-inning guy. Um, I talked about Luis Devers. He's somebody who's obviously the minor league pitcher of the year for the Cubs. He's a starting pitcher. He's lower in the system. He's a little bit less likely to be a guy that somebody's going to bring up, and he's certainly probably not going to go into anybody's rotation right now. Um, you know, he he doesn't have that big power arm profile either, but he's a quality pitcher, so he's probably not likely to get taken, but he's out there. Um, Chase Strumpf as well, um, infielder target with the Cubs, good bat. He's a guy who maybe could be a utility guy on somebody's bench this year if they were invested in him. So, again, if the Cubs have those guys drafted – don't just assume they're gone. It's going to be up to that other team, you know, to, to keep them. Sometimes, and then I'll get into this in a second with the Cubs, sometimes they'll draft a guy, kick the tires in spring training, see what the guy can do. If he really impresses you, then you'll do what you can to keep him or work out a trade with the other team. But if maybe something doesn't show as well or someone like Dennis Correa, you know, is showing big command issues in spring training, you're just not going to be able to keep him on your active roster. You just send them back. So with the Cubs, um, Greg Huss, Greg Zumak, Brian Smith have talked about some guys that they think um, are potential Cubs targets. A couple that stand out are Thad Ward. He's just a filthy right-hander from the Red Sox organization. Could fall right into a middle-inning relief role. And then talking about the Cubs' need at center field, Greg Huss is super high on Jake Mangum. He's a center fielder with the Mets and AAA. He's got a plus glove in center field, great speed. So, you know, if the Cubs don't, you know – whether the Cubs go for Bellinger or somebody else or not, he's a guy that the Cubs might be able to bring in. He's probably not, he's not an elite prospect. There's a reason why he's unprotected. But again, while Brennan Davis is, you know, trying to figure out if his back is healthy, Canario's battling injury, PCA hasn't played at double A yet. He could be more depth um, to that center field outfield spot. And if he's great, then, Hey, it's one more young player that you've got to either play or trade or do something with. So it's going to be an exciting week next week. I hope everybody pays attention. Follow me on Twitter, Cubs PS Plus. There's going to be a lot going on, a lot of news. We'll see if, if the Cubs make a big signing. I may drop a, a bonus uh, emergency podcast here. But I think like everybody else, we're just waiting. And I would just advise, be patient. I know it's hard. You know, there's a lot of other stuff going on right now. We all just want Cubs news. Um, but every day without a rumor doesn't mean the Cubs aren't going to sign a guy. Um, remember Seiya Suzuki last year when Seiya was first posted, there was some early talk about the Cubs and Seiya Suzuki. And then there wasn't much. There was a lot of talk about, you know, this team, that team. He made some appearances, did some stuff. And then in the end, all of a sudden, oh, the Cubs signed Seiya Suzuki. So Jed tends to like to work undercover. So it's going to be really hard to tell. There's nothing going on here from we're working on it and we're just not talking about it yet. You know, typically you know keeps things tight so hopefully one day we'll just wake up and have a surprise that the cubs have a brand new shiny shortstop but if not remember there are other ways to build a team so 
I'm going to evaluate this offseason based on what happens as they head into spring training. What does that roster look like? And then what does it look like coming out of spring training? Who impressed us? Because I think there's some natural improvement coming from the young guys on this team, Nico Horner. I think Seiya Suzuki still has room to improve. Ian Happ seemed to find a new comfort level last year, so he might be able to get better. Um, I think Christopher Morrell has a potential to get a lot better. Obviously, you know, the Cubs could get a bump from Mervis. There are a lot of possibilities here. So don't invest too heavily in that early free agent market. But let's see where the Cubs wind up. I think the Cubs have a lot of areas of need, but the Cubs also have a lot of resources at their disposal. And from everything I read and see and hear, it seems like they're motivated to make cha- make some changes and upgrade that talent. So hopefully the Cubs will make those improvements and we'll have something really enjoyable heading into the holiday season, into the next new year. I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you liked what you heard, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. If you've already done that, share an episode with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPS+. This is Mike Waller, host of the CubsPS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day especially heading into the winter meetings. Go Cubs!